the privilege and the blessing to be able to teach a class in our partner ministry, Divine Savior Academy. And over the last couple of years, I was teaching a catechetical, systematic doctrine class to eighth graders. But this year, they asked me to teach an Old Testament survey class to 10th graders, sophomores in high school. I got promoted. Nice. <laughs> right? I, I was excited. Older students, more mature. I just knew. I knew they were just going to be so eager, so excited to study the Old Testament. And, and I just, I thought to myself, how? How am I going to contain and restrain excitement and the enthusiasm that they would come into class with every single day because we were going to study the ancient part of the Bible. And some of you, I heard you laughing. You think that my expectations for high school sophomores were a little optimistic? You're right. Um, now, I, I love the students that I get to teach. I've really enjoyed getting to know them and, and finding out more about them. And in that process, I have discovered a few things about sophomores in high school. Sophomores in high school, it seems, don't sleep very much at night. And so they choose to catch up, sometimes during class. And it seems that sophomores in high school maybe are not quite as enthusiastic and as excited about diving into the Old Testament as I thought they might be. I'm still waiting for them to, to show me that, to, to force me to restrain them a little bit with that energy. What expectations should I have for you? Uh, this worship series, We Want to See Jesus, it's going to be focused on the Old Testament of the Bible. And so we're going to dive into these old ancient narrative histories. We're going to take a look at worshipful and emotional poetry and strong and intense prophecy. And how do you approach it? Are you eager and enthusiastic and, and so excited to be diving into these ancient writings? What is your approach to them? Or maybe they're just that. Ancient writings that are to some religious sect, but they don't have any modern relevance. Or maybe you kind of know that, that there's something spiritual there, but you're just not sure how it connects to your own life. Is it merely academic? Do you just peruse these pages of Scripture from a philosophical or a scholarly perspective? Or... Do you recognize that the Old Testament 
is an elaborate and wonderful story of the activity of a divine and holy God whose immense love for you led him to rescue you from all the sadness of this world, including death itself. And so whether you are a longtime believer and you've heard these accounts before, you, you remember your Sunday school days and talking through these stories, or, or whether they are brand new to you, you never heard them before. And especially if you are skeptical that these ancient readings have anything relevant to say to your life, I'm going to ask you to be open. I'm going to ask you to be alert to what you might discover, what you might learn about yourself and about the world that you live in. And I believe, I'm confident, that eagerness and excitement will come. And so today we're going to start in the book of Genesis. The very first book of the Bible, Genesis, is a word that means beginnings. And we're starting in chapter 3, but in the first couple of chapters you have beginnings. The beginnings not only of life and universe itself, you have the beginnings also of human beings' interaction and relationship with God. And life was good. It was so good. There was a man, his name was Adam, and there was his wife, Eve, and they had an amazing marriage. And they had a wonderful relationship with God. The creator who had given them so much, given them so much good. And then this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Moses, the human author who's writing this down for us, he highlights some essential elements for us in these words. He tells us that this serpent, this snake, was slick, crafty, cunning, deceptive. Snake also speaks. There's no other indication anywhere that animals ever talked in intelligible human language. So this serpent that we're introduced to here is also unnatural. The Bible later on exposes his identity, although we can pretty well gather that from the context. But in the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, it describes a war that broke out in the heavens, and it tells us this, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. And this is what Satan seeks to do. Deceive us. 
with this false question, he ensnared Eve into a dangerous conversation. Now, God had given Adam and Eve so much good. All all the, the lush, fruitful, vibrant trees and vegetation in the garden. They had everything that the world could offer them, everything they could possibly need. And so the lie was so outrageous that Eve felt compelled to answer, to respond and clarify. And Eve said, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. There was one tree from which God asked his people not to eat, not to consume. There was one tree whose fruit would not be a blessing for Adam and Eve. It was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, why did God plant such a tree? Why did God put temptation right in front of them? Those are probably the questions that immediately jump to our minds. And in total honesty, I don't know. God never says in his word why he put that tree there. He doesn't give us his explanation or, or defend his actions. But what I do know is that it was part of his infinite wisdom. And what I'll propose is this thought. As Adam and Eve lived, they would continue to have opportunities to trust that God had their good in mind. To trust that God desired what was best for them. That God loved them that much. This was one of those opportunities. God desired a relationship with his people that consisted of love. His love for them and their love for him. And an integral, tremendously important aspect of our love for God is our trust in God. And that remains the case today. Do you trust that God has your good in mind always? Do you trust that God cares deeply about you in every and any situation, even when He asks you to go through challenge and difficulty and pain? Do you trust? And trust is exactly what the serpent attacked with his deceitful response back to Eve. He said, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
Satan lies. Satan speaks in half-truths. Now maybe death would be instantaneous, but death would now become an experience, part of their lives as a consequence from eating from this tree. Your eyes will be opened. Sounds good. You'll become like God. That sounds amazing. Except that Satan left just enough truth in here for us to see through the deception. Just enough truth for us to see the reality, the expectations that Adam and Eve could have had if they were to eat this fruit because their eyes would be opened and they would become like God. But in what way? They would know evil. The evil that God never desired be a part of their life or their experience. And they would now know it. And Satan's words here, they highlight a massive problem for humanity. We desire to be our own gods. We desire to live our own life. You do you. You do what makes you happiest. Which sounds a lot like go out and discover the more that is beyond the God who loves you, who creates good for you, who invests in you. Go and discover the more that is beyond and outside of the almighty, the all-knowing, the all-wise God. It seems so simple to see through that. But we know how seductive this is. Your eyes will be open. You will be God. We know how it seduces because it seduces me. And it seduces you, and it seduced Adam and Eve too. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. It's so telling. Their eyes were opened to what? Evil. Their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked. Just surprise. Nakedness had never before been a problem for them. Why now? Never before had Adam 
been worried whether he was strong or muscular enough to protect Eve. Never before had he been worried that someone might see his weaknesses and his vulnerabilities and, and that those would be exposed and they might take advantage of them and harm him. Eve had never once had the thought that Adam might objectify her or abuse her. She never once had had to worry about whether or not she was the right size or the right shape for Adam to love her until now. And all those thoughts, shame, self-doubt. All of those thoughts came flooding into their minds and into their hearts like a terrible nightmare, except it wasn't a nightmare. It was the new reality of their experience. Because when we don't trust that God has given us all good, We don't trust each other. And when we don't trust God and we don't trust one another, then we have to get what's ours. We have to look out for number one. And it breeds selfishness and centeredness. It, it breeds envy and prejudice and hatred, and violence, and murder. The entire range of evil flooded this world with the choice that Adam and Eve made. Do you know why we worry so much about what's ours? Why we worry so much about the friends that we have, the relationships, property, possessions, our skills and ability, whatever it might be, it's because we don't trust that God has given us all good. Adam and Eve, they also saw this, a new reality of those bodies that they now saw. How weak and frail they were, that their strength and their vibrancy, that it would fade, that they could decay, that they could feel pain, the vital organs that their skin covered over, those could be injured, those could be hurt, they could cease to function, they could die. How terrifying a thought when it had never been there before. And it was because of their choice to be their own God. What if there is another reality for us to see here? What if there is a beautiful, amazing reality that we can see right here in the midst of such sadness This amazing reality that we can recognize that you and I, we are not God. But the magnificent God of the Bible is. 
And look at how he responds. There was immediate grace and kindness in the approach that he took to Adam and Eve, to the questions that he asked, but the greatest grace we see in verses 14 and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I, this is God speaking, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Personally, I think that the first half of these curses that we see against the snake, that they are to be reminders for us. That every single time that you would see a snake, and you get to see some here in Texas, and you would see it slithering on the ground, right? Crawling on the ground, eating the dust of the earth. That it would bring your mind and your heart right back here to these words, right back to the Garden of Eden. So that you also would remember these words. And this is what God desires that you know and you realize God declared that he would take all of that enmity, the hostility that Satan had tried to put between and God. He would take all of that hostility and he would place it between Satan and the woman and her offspring, people. That there was now going to be an epic and cosmic battle that would be waged and this battle would be a struggle for Satan. And God promised that he would send one. One male offspring from that woman who would come and crush his head. Who would defeat him once and for all. That this fissure, this fracture that had been created in the relationship between human beings and God, that it would be healed and it would be restored by the seed of the woman. And this is what the Bible is all about. This is what the Old Testament is all about. But it's worth nothing to us if we don't see Jesus. It's worth nothing if we don't recognize that reality. That the Old Testament follows the history of God fulfilling these words, this very promise. We want to see Jesus here. And you get to see Jesus here. Jesus is the snake crusher. Jesus is the better man than Adam who lived in righteousness, who obeyed all of God's commands, who overcame every single temptation from that ancient serpent, from Satan himself. And he lived that righteous life that counted for Eve, for Adam, and for you and me. He crushed Satan at the cross. And he was struck it was a painful experience, both physically and emotionally, but Jesus was there for us. He suffered what Adam and Eve, you and I, what we deserved for our disobedience so that we would never have to. He experienced that forever separation from God so that we 
would not. And it's in Jesus that God has once again delivered all good to you. So that you can trust Him. So that you can live without fear. So that you can serve and you can look ahead to the paradise that is yours beyond death. The paradise that is yours as you live together with your Lord and Savior. The Old Testament matters because Jesus matters. Because God's promise matters. And so we want to recognize this reality. That the Old Testament is an elaborate, true story of the activity of a holy God whose immense love for you led him to rescue you from all the sadness of this world, including death itself. Are you eager and excited to learn more about that? All God's people said, Amen.